This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends podcast, and I'm very happy to announce today's going to be a special episode where we're joined by a panel of women to have a pretty in-depth conversation with what's been happening, I guess, a little bit in the poker environment as far as ladies events go, as well as behavior at the table and other areas in which we can potentially grow this aspect of the game. Uh, We're joined today by a host of women who have all been competing uh, for various amounts of times. Uh, We're led by Victoria Livshitz, Katie Stone, Ebony Kenny, Lindsay Clut, who's here in studio, and I probably butchered your last name. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) What what is it, actually? It's Clute like flute. Why the D? (laughs) 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 Can we get an E in there somewhere? Like, I'm real phonetic here. You know, I I can't can't catch up. Uh, and then finally rounding it out, Abby Merck and Caitlin Cobb. Uh, so I'm basically just going to turn the mics over to you all. Uh, I'm going to try to steer the conversation down a few of the, the major talking points, but I don't really want to get in the way. I'm, I'm happy to just kind of sit back and listen. Um, I guess first and foremost, uh, I, I want to make the audience kind of familiar with everybody and and what their backstory is so uh abby starting with you why don't you let us know a little bit of how you got into poker and uh how all this came to be yeah for sure so hey guys it's abby um also known as abby poker online um basically i got into poker a couple years ago my boss at the time uh started a company called poker power whose goal is to get one min one million women playing poker um i joined that company started taking classes through them fell in love with the game started studying and actually ended up becoming a teacher and spokesperson for them as well still involved them to this day but decided to kind of branch out and start playing a little bit more seriously about six months ago so that's a little bit about me and my background uh caitlin you want to go next um yes my hello i'm caitlin or the future miss ashia kayla arnwine (laughs) um and so i started playing poker about two years ago but really seriously since like december of last year and my now husband got me into poker as he's known as hello kitty aka just arnwine and he's been playing poker for over 15 years awesome uh katie you want to go uh, sure. My name is Katie Stone, and I have been playing poker since 2005 when I first learned. Um, I came from the chess world and went full time in poker at the end of 2008. Um, I'm primarily an online pro for the majority of my career, um, and have been a uh, was a team pro. Uh, for Party Poker US at MGM for four years. And now I live in Houston. Um, I have a, a son and a husband, and that's me. Perfect. Uh, Lindsay, you want to fill us in? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have lived in Las Vegas. I moved out here to play poker professionally about 10 years ago. Um, my senior year of college i was already um my 21st birthday at midnight i was sitting at a poker table uh 
and uh, that was like all I wanted to do was just play um, play live poker. And uh, about a month and a half later, um, I was flown to Amsterdam for the Master Classics of Poker, and I played cash during that series. And uh, you know, as soon as I graduated college, I was like Vegas to try and play full time, and I've been here ever since. So uh, that, that's kind of wild to me because you're such a new face on the scene mm -hmm. from my perspective. There are people, it's very polar. Like there are people who you will talk to and they'll be like, yeah, I've known that girl for 10 years. And then there are people who will be like, I've only heard of her in the last. Yeah. I, I think it probably has a little bit to do with uh, more overlap in the friend group now too. Yeah. Um, no introduction necessary, but Ebony, why don't you, why don't you introduce yourself? Maybe. Uh, yes. Okay. I had to figure out how to unmute. Hi, uh, my name is Ebony Ma, professional poker player, sponsored ACR Team Pro, confidence coach. I'm playing for years, and I am pro everyone in this group. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, and then you guys may be familiar with Victoria as we've had a sit down with her before, but uh, why don't you catch us up a little bit, Victoria? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Victoria Liefritz, I'm a professional technologist and entrepreneur. Um, I have fallen madly in love with poker about a year and a half ago. Uh, so, I've been uh, playing a lot lately. Um, yeah, tournaments of all kinds, uh, from large fields events to high rollers. Um, uh, after last World Series, um, I've uh, sort of almost by accident decided to help a small group of women who wanted to get better in poker. We formed a, a virtual study group, and it took a, a life of its own. Now it turned into Pocket Queens. It's, a, it's an amazing community. Uh, we have, when I was on your show in, in February, I was kind of blown away that we were close to 50 people, I think. We're over 140 and growing and growing. Um, it's just an incredible community of very smart, very motivated uh, people of all ages. Uh, you know, anybody from we have some people who are very, very young uh, and and grandmas, <laughs> <laughs> um, professional poker players, aspiring professionals, serious amateurs, people who are just getting into the game, united by uh, uh, by just love love of the game and wanting to get better. Uh, the group was absolutely crushing. It's incredible. Every day, somebody final tables something. Uh, it's also turned into you know, just a very massively supporting community uh, that's trying to champion uh, you know, women in poker. So I think that's a good place to start off with. Uh, these women's groups seem to be popping up more and more. Abby mentioned uh, being a part of Poker Power. You're obviously uh, speaking about uh, Pocket Queens, which is, is growing at a rapid rate. And I know that uh, Katie was a part of the Grindettes, which was kind of like uh, one of the original that I was aware of uh, with her, Jen Shahade, Jamie Kerstetter, et cetera. What, I, I guess like my first question is, and I'll just leave this open to the group before uh, I start drilling down on, on individuals, uh, but what do you think the, the momentum of these groups are providing as far as transitioning then over into the live environment? Because you're very insulated where it's a safe space uh, in these groups. Uh, and I guess the, to rephrase my question, I guess, uh, how well do you think that's translating then over into a, a, a little bit more of a hostile environment? 
I can start. Sure, please. Um, so I think what is probably happening is, you know, nobody can argue that in the last few years, uh, the women's groups have kind of boomed, right? Uh, I mean, we've seen, you know, back in the day, there was just one, right? Like lips, women's poker. Um, now I think there's maybe six or seven of them. Mm -hmm. And just by sheer numbers, you know, the awareness is not falling just on women. The awareness is falling on the general population, which includes men in the poker world. And so I think them just understanding that there's heightened awareness across uh, a large number of, of not only women, but new players, and then also just organized groups. And that kind of is, you know, it can kind of serve as a, as a little bit of an organic deterrent from, uh, you know, a pylon or a group mentality as we've, we, we as women have so often experienced it at the table, you know? Yeah, I, I think, and I, I don't know this to be certain, but um, I, I think we can all acknowledge that the growth is there. We're, we're seeing numbers go up. We're seeing these ladies events uh, continually grow larger and larger every single stop, not just the World Series. And I do think that there's a lot of power in numbers. So um, it's easy to feel singled out whenever you're the only woman at a table. It's easy to feel like uh, you're in a vulnerable situation. But from what I can tell, outside of the study aspect of it and being in a learning environment where you, you stand to grow a little bit faster, uh, it seems like just the sheer like community element of it where now you have travel pals to kind of like you know go stop to stop with there's two or maybe three women at a table now that can kind of curb behavior a little bit uh and we'll get into this a little bit later on in the discussion um whenever we we kind of discuss what's been happening with Lindsay lately but i, I want to stay on topic i guess with this um this event that just occurred in uh florida not not specifically that one, but I guess like women's events uh, all across the board. Um, let me start with uh, Caitlin and Abby. Uh, Caitlin, I'll start with you first. Can you speak a little bit to your overall experience um, having played in this and what it was like, you know, kind of having one odd man uh, join the field? Yeah, so it was an overwhelmingly great experience. Like I'm part of Pocket Queens, and so there was seven of us women at the event. So you know that's it's really awesome, and we all talked about planning travel and stuff together. So we were all excited to meet, and then um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, we, we we hear this applause, and so we look over, and you know, as it is as it was a Borgata, usually when these freedom fighters, as they're sometimes sarcastically <laughs> referred to, are in the women's tournaments, you know, we all applaud and everything like that, and then he buys in a second time, and. Um, Abby comes, she sits down next to me, um, entering the women's event. She said, is there a man with a white beard here? And I was, and then she kind of explains that she overheard him saying, you know, that he was going to go mess with the ladies and pretend to identify as a woman because you can do anything nowadays. And then he, but more than that, he was also just, he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't a nice guy that was just playing a women's event. If he had just come in and been supportive and just, but no, he bonded in three times to a women's event, was often degraded women, women. Like one of the women said to me that he gave her his phone number and said, yeah, call me so I can tell you how to properly play. And then he would throw down pocket twos and be like, that's how you play twos, ladies. 
And um, then at one time he went up to Ebony and was like, oh, okay, can you put online that I put the bounty on myself, a $100 bounty, which he tried to take back, by the way, um, and, and let them know what a nice guy I am, basically was his pitch, and uh, that it was all done in fun. And um, he said, you know, if he hadn't put the bounty on, I wouldn't have bought in a third time, which may be true, but he had just said at my table that, oh, I would have bought in five times to this event. And I was like, wait a minute, because I'd already busted out. I was talking with Ebony. It was amazing. And I was like, wait a minute. You just said you would have bought in five times to this event. All of a sudden, his nice guy facade drops and he snaps at me and was like, uh, don't you? He said, do you always believe everything I say? Man, you're like my, he's like, have you met my ex-wife? And storms off. And <laughs> I just had to die in laughter. But also like when he was heads up with Diana, he, um, the way he was looking at her when he was losing, in addition to being rude to the dealer, was just honestly like just made me and some of the other rails feel uncomfortable because the way he was looking at her was very um, was as if he could physically hurt her. It wasn't just staring her down to get information. And he also admitted at other tables that he likes staring down women to make them uncomfortable. So all around, like he just spoiled the event and then like if two women were in a pot he would yell cat fight but it was also it also happened at another event i played in florida too where when women were in a pot someone would yell cat fight where there was all this misogyny and sexism so it's part of a larger culture yeah yeah that seems pretty undeniable at this point um abby why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience i know you final table this event yeah. So, um, basically earlier that day, just like Caitlin referred to, I was playing the $3,500 main event. Um, I ended up, I was at the table for three quarters of the day right before the ladies tournament started. I ended up busting, but during my time at that table, I was essentially sitting there and his friend was at my table. He comes over and drops off like 40 K on the table to this guy. And the friend was like, Oh, like, what are you going to go today? What are you going to go do today? And he eventually, he basically made a remark that he was going to go, um, mess around and see if he could identify as a woman and get into the ladies event because like people can get away with anything these days or things like that. Um, and he was like, basically like his friend was taunting him. He's like, I bet you won't, I bet you won't like, um, you know, they're going to, they're going to stop you. Like you look nothing like a woman. He's like, it's not about that. It's like about identifying as one, like you can literally get away with anything nowadays. Um, just reiterating that point. And it is kind of like going back to what you were talking about earlier. It was kind of a situation where I felt like weird about saying anything at the time. Like it was me and eight other guys at the table, um, all of whom were cackling and cracking jokes about that and switching the topics to, um, you know, if he could actually get away with identifying as a woman and like what his odds were of winning, if he was able to do that, like that's what the conversation steered to. And I'm just kind of sitting there outnumbered, not really wanting to pick a fight with the eight people that I'm competing with for a million dollar top prize. So, um, you know, it just puts you in an uncomfortable situation. You're not really sure what to do, but when I ended up busting that event, like I definitely knew that I still wanted to fire the ladies event. I've had great experience playing ladies events in the past. I think that the people that you play with are extremely, extremely kind. Everyone's very welcoming. Everyone's very competitive. Don't get me wrong. Like everyone is there to win and everyone is going to try their best to win. But also when you bust, it's not like, um, 
malicious at all. No one is coming in with evil intent. Everyone genuinely wants the best for each other. Like it's a very great environment to do that. So when I ended up firing the ladies event, um, he was, I, I did come down to talk to Caitlin. I was like, has anyone seen that guy? Like curious if he had actually gotten in and he did. Um, and then I heard that he was kind of like doing some shady stuff. So I mentioned to Ebony and Caitlin what I had heard earlier and that kind of furthered that narrative of maybe this guy's intentions weren't as pure as, um, trying to join that, that, uh, community that I was just referring to. Um, and so, yeah, so then we played with him for a good amount of the day. And I will say like the bounty considerations, uh, were, important. Definitely. The bounty got so big that it actually beat third place money. Um, so there were definitely considerations and things that you were calling in plays that you were making against him that maybe, or maybe not contributed to a win. I'm not sure, but all I know is that, um, from my conversations with him directly, I don't think that he was mean to me directly, but I don't want to take away from the experience of anyone else. Um, I also will say that at the end, like at the actual final table, when it was heads up, I did witness him being extremely rude to the dealer and, um, extremely aggressive towards the other woman who ended up taking second. So that was my experience with it. Um, but I just really have fault with him trying to falsely identify as someone that he's not. Yeah. I I think that that makes, uh, I mean, you touched on a few things there, like as an onlooker that resonate with me. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, personally, I find it very difficult to go around over-policing, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, especially in this game, you know, it's, it's kind of fueled by idiots. And I, I, I mean that as literally as possible. Like, uh, you know, we make a lot of money off of, off of dumb money, so to speak. And uh, we've had this discussion a lot in the past where it's like, at what point are you willing to just kind of accept the environment that you're given in order to increase your bottom line? You know, how, how often do you put up with a belligerent drunk in order to, or, or because you know that it's like doubling your win rate for the hours that he's there. And I do kind of feel that sort of pressure where it's like, you know, this guy's having a joking conversation with his friend. Maybe it's not even a joke. It doesn't really matter, I guess. Uh, and there's this urge to want to speak up and police him. But it's so it's such a fine line between like virtue signaling and actually making a point and standing up for, you know, uh, in this instance, Abby, who's at the table, uh, as well as like the other women who are trying to play the event. And the cost benefit analysis that like at least I personally run is, am I going to change this guy's opinion in any capacity by trying to point out that like what he's what he thinks he's trying to prove by signing up to this event isn't accomplishing what he what he wants. And almost always I just arrive at like, no, you know, it's like, this guy's going to go play this event no matter what. And unfortunately he's going to become the story of this event. But I kind of think that there's upside to that, right? Like, I think this conversation is being had because this guy, you know, kind of crossed lines, so to speak. And I think it gives you all a, a much bigger platform and a much bigger voice to speak to operators and try to get to a solution of some sort moving forward. Um, which I guess leads me into uh, the next, or not not the next, but like uh, a slight um, tangential point. Um, Victoria, could you speak a little bit to why the importance of these events uh, exist? Because from an operator standpoint, and we've seen this actually happen where Sherpo took this event off of their August schedule, 
it's much easier to not run it, right? And without very strict guidelines as far as who they can and cannot let in, at this point, it's just kind of a suggestion, right? It's a suggestion, uh, uh, sorry, a suggested women's only event. Um, and, you know, there isn't really anything to empower the operator to stop somebody like Dave from entering. So could you kind of speak on that a little bit? Yeah, so I think there's a number of things going on. One is, uh, why should women events exist in the first place? And I think that's the point you bring it in a social discussions and lots of people jump in and, and uh, kind of take a position that um, these segregated events are not needed to anybody. Um, you know, why are we even bothering? From the operator perspective, they have to believe that this serves some kind of a greater purpose because just by numbers alone, okay, this event had 83 women. Uh, you would say it's a pretty big event as far as women is concerned, but as far as the festival goes, probably you know one of the smallest events. Uh, it competes for time slots in the space with potentially you know much bigger events that would be much more profitable. Um, now, I come from an interesting place. I don't play women events myself very much. I have played in a World Series women event. Um, you know, I might play in some of the higher buy-in events from time to time, but I'm generally just interested in the higher buy-in um, buy-in events myself. But at the same time, being member of the um, kind of a female uh, poker community and, and and leader of the of the women group, I am interested in growing the game. Uh, and the easiest way to grow the game is to bring more women. It's and, and, and we're dealing with something very interesting here. If you look at the just overall gaming, which is massively on the rise, there is some evidence that women represent something staggering, like 60% of people who play online. All kinds of games are women. Uh, and then you start breaking this down to poker, which is one of the more popular games out there. Um, and you look at representation of women in online games. Um, I'm trying to get a sense of statistics. Uh, I don't know where the the truth is, but I've heard numbers that are 30% and above um, of uh, online poker gaming being women. And then you look at the live events and it drops dramatically. And in the best of our circumstances, you're going to get average of 5%. Uh, and there's a plenty of events, particularly events with a higher buy-in, where it's 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 lower than that um and uh, so something is going on i mean we we all kind of have our own experiences and have some explanation as to why particularly life uh poker scene is having so few women it's certainly not because you know it's not the lady sport <laughs> often you know been positioned but, but i hope today we can explore a little farther um, and ask, uh, you know, women who do play in this women event regularly, and we already started doing it, what it is that it's doing for them. For me, it's very, very clear that it's an on-ramp into poker. It's first a great way for people who are just starting out to go start playing in a women-only events, and then that tends to open up then their opportunities to play in open field events. Um, but also, as, as Abby pointed out, as, as Ebony, I'm sure, will speak to, as our members uh, say, they, you know, people often play both, right? They enjoy the, the women event. Um, at the same time, they play many other events in the festival. Uh, 
I know that many members of our group participated in this particular event. And for many of them, the decision to come to Florida was, oh, there is a ladies event. So I definitely want to play this one. And I am scheduling my trip around certain dates. And so I'm going to be you know, playing a number of different uh, events essentially around this one, right? So it becomes a, a center, kind of a centerpiece, center, center reason to be in the festival in the first place. But then obviously people playing, you know, multitude of buy-ins for, for all sorts of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I think you made a lot of really good points there. Most notably that um, by and large, ladies events are filled with uh, recreational players and people who are kind of on-ramping to poker as a whole. It's a safe space, right? It's, it's, a, it's an arena where if you've been dabbling uh, in a study group or you play casually with friends on the weekend, uh, this is a pretty kind environment to come where uh, you can be assured there aren't going to be a lot of professionals simply due to the numbers aspect. Well, right? There in some sense, but I actually want to add a slightly different uh, point, which is I think is sort of misunderstood. And, and at some level, it's hard to prove, but people who do play in these events, uh, they kind of know it. We, we talk a lot about this with, with Jen Shahade, and that is... At the same buy-in level, if you take a $300 tournament, $250 tournament, or a $1,000 World Series tournament, and you look at the women-only versus open field, it's going to the women-only is going to be a significantly tougher field than same buy-in and open field. And at the same time, I only have anecdotal evidence. I started tracking this in the tournaments where I participate. But it seems to be kind of amazing consistency when you're going to see the number percentage-wise women entering uh, event. It might be, you know, 3%, it might be 5%, it might be 7%. But if you look at the progression, if you look at number of women who are cashing, if you look at the number of women with deep runs, uh, they, they tend to be disproportionately doing better than men. Uh, and I think that coin gets lost and the statistics around this don't get reported. Um, and I think there is a very, very clear explanation why that is. There are significantly higher barriers for women to play uh, poker, particularly life events. So those who actually do make it to the festivals, who do make it to, uh, you know, may pay the entry fee and enter, they on average are actually far more serious and far more competent because just the barriers are higher. Yeah, so, I, th I think you uh, nailed it there. Yep. So, so it's actually not softer, contrary to what might be, you know, kind of a, a uninformed, a, a naive opinion. Women-only events for, for a dollar of buy-in uh, is actually significantly tougher. So women don't play in these events because they have, you know, necessarily higher age. It's all done for different reasons. It's for different for inclusivity, camaraderie, vibe support and so forth yeah yeah sorry i wasn't trying to imply that the fields are softer uh as a whole what i was what i was basically saying is that because just by sheer numbers there are fewer female professionals uh yeah. you're less likely to run into uh i i guess though the ratio is all the all relative right but i have um, to say that when i played in the women uh, let me address this point i think actually one of the Kind of a soft problems that that i'd like to champion and i think well i know we talk about it everybody in our group feels the same we gotta stop calling them ladies events like i don't even know why that's a thing you know we are women we are 
many of us do not identify as ladies. <laughs> uh, we want these events to be called women events um, and, and really talk about women in poker rather than ladies in poker. Uh, it's a small point, but I think it's somewhat nuancially important. Sure. Uh, I can imagine that of all the things to get changed, that would easily be the the lowest hanging fruit for operators. Yeah, hopefully we could just grab mm -hmm. that, you know, little bit and, and then just run with it because exactly, it's semantics, but sometimes semantics matter. Uh, but when I played women's event in the World Series last year, not only did I walk away, that is definitely by far the toughest one 1K you could find, but I was sitting at the old pro table, basically level one. So there definitely are, you know, women pros and, and they exist and there's not that small of a number of them. It's just dwarfs in the, in the, in, in the sea of, you know, men right. on average. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I so don't, if I have a little bit of a mic, I don't know if it's yeah, now yeah, go ahead, time go ahead. or later, yeah, go ahead, but, go ahead. uh, you know, I, there's one woman who is not here today. She couldn't dial in. Uh, but she's very much part of, you know, what happened at the at the Hard Rock. Um, she's written a statement and, and asked that that statement be read here. And if that's cool with everybody, I'd, I'd, I'd love to read it on her behalf. Sure. Uh, great. So, uh, uh, hello. And I'm reading this verbose. Uh, my name is uh, Diane Chabaton. Uh, 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 and I finished second in the Simeon Hard Rock uh, uh, Poker Open Ladies Event. I've been playing cash poker for over 20 years uh, and recently started transitioning to tournaments. I'm a board member of Pocket Queens, a study group for women poker players. I've been working diligently to improve my poker skills over the last six months. This score is my largest to date and should have been celebrated. Unfortunately, the circumstances surrounding this event has superseded my personal achievement. My personal feeling towards the aftermath was to ignore the drama. I didn't address it because I didn't want bad actors encouraged to register for future women's events, and I didn't want uh, any fuel added to that fire. Unfortunately, it's become the interna with um, the uh, uh, Simeon Hard Rock announcing the, its next series without ladies' event. Here are my takeaways. Number one, Ebony, who railed me until 4 a.m. and has always been an advocate for women in poker, had the best intentions in creating the bounty. Unfortunately, it backfired. From now on, if a man registers, we ignore him. Number two, ladies' tournaments should be for women only. Casinos should work with women to ensure that they are part of every series and that they are a safe place. I've reached out to... Um, Hard Rock, Simeon Hard Rock, um, Poker Open, and suggested a quote-unquote invitational format. If we collaborate, we will find a way. Canceling these events sends the wrong message and should not be tolerated. Number three, toxic men have decided in this political climate to embrace transphobia. The tournaments on Saturday has somehow been twisted by right-wing media to fuel their transphobic agenda. I would like to state for the record that trans women are women, period. Trans women are welcome at Pocket Queens and should be welcome at all ladies' events. Number four, can we please start calling them women's tournaments? It's 2023. Uh, that was Diana's statement. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I am proud to read it and, and I happy to put my name under every one of these statements. Okay. Uh, I, I think that there's uh, a fair amount to unpack there. It kind of, uh, also went, uh, hand in hand with the, the, the statements that you were kind of making. I, I want to hear from Ebony because I know that she spoke with Dave, uh, kind of after the fact, uh, you, she was also like pretty, um, vocal on Twitter while it was all taking place as well as putting a bounty on his head, on his head. Uh, give us a little bit of insight of like what that whole dynamic was like. Sorry, I had to unmute. Okay. Uh, yeah. So initially when I sat down to play, I actually sat right next to Abby and, um, someone had mentioned there was a guy playing and I was like, what? Okay. And, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should put a bounty on his head. And then Abby had told me about the conversation that she had already, you know, explained here, um, that she had overheard, uh, while she was playing the main event. So I was like, oh, so I went over to him and I was like, Hey, what's your name? I asked, you know, and he was like, Dave. And I was like, all right, Dave. And I was like, I'm going to put a bounty on your head. Is that okay? And he was like, sure. And I was like, all right, ladies, $300 bounty on Dave's head. I announced it. I asked him if it was okay if I could film him. And I didn't walk up to him with like my phone in my hand was like, Hey, can I film you? I walked up to him while he was playing, playing without my phone. My phone was on the table. And I said, Hey Dave, is it okay if I film you and post you on my social media? And he goes, absolutely. So I went back, got my phone, came to him. And then that's when I filmed and posted the video that has now gone everywhere. <laughs> Initially it was, I was calling him out on his shit and I was trying to keep it light because of what the whole scenario was. So when it was announced that I put the bounty on his head, the ladies were very happy. Some ladies who were not at his table were jealous that they didn't have a chance to knock him out. So I think that part was initially the part that was the most disappointing. The bounty didn't increase exponentially until it got to the final table. Like it literally, when there was like five left, uh, before the final table was at 740. And then by the time, I think it was like when we got to like five people, it got up to 2,200 almost. So that like the bounty growing so big didn't actually incentivize um, players to go after him. And every time he had, like there's a, been a lot of speculation about, oh, the bounty is what made people go after him. And the fact of the matter is that women are not targeting players. They're just, they're not like, I know everyone wanted to knock him out. That's absolutely true. But they also really care about their tournament and they want to win. And, they, and they're not just going to compromise their poker game to try to knock someone out. And that I, I can say like, generally speaking. And every time that he was all in, because I watched every hand, he just had the nuts and somebody else would have the second nuts. It was the most absurd thing. Like there was a hand where he had, uh, there was a four card straight with, and you needed a 10 for the five card straight. And he had Jack 10 and someone else in the hand of pocket 10s. Like it's just one of those, there were just so many different things. And it was fun. Like when I put the bounty on his head, he was on a second bullet. And I said that I would put the bounty, I would make the bounty live after late reg was over. Cause late registration was still going. So he ended up getting knocked out. And then he said, oh, well, and I asked him, I said, are you buying in again? And he said, yeah. So we bought back in and it was kind of fun, you know, but I was still taking into account the conversation that Abby had overheard. And then I noticed uh, some things, including the conversation with Caitlin um, and myself, where he said, 
do you always take everything I say at face value? You must be friends with my ex-wife is actually what he said uh, when he made the comments about uh, buying in multiple times. He also made a comment um, that if something along the lines that if he, if he, uh, if he doesn't win this tournament, he should basically quit poker because the field is so soft. Um, he also, um, yeah, he made several comments that he would that he would buy an uh, unlimited amount of times because the field's so soft. Um, and after, so after all this happened and a lot of transphobic comments have been happening um, on social media, I saw Dave in a six hundred um, two days after. And I asked to talk to him on the break. And I just wanted to really kind of explain to him from my perspective, why I think that he should consider not playing any more tournaments because uh, I was playing with him in the 400 the day after, I think it was the day after the ladies event. Yes. And uh, there was a woman sitting next to him that had played the ladies event and he was texting and she could see his text messages were really big. And I posted this on social media as well. Like he was texting saying that he's going to play every ladies event from here on out because it's the best value. And, um, then he found out that the WSOP ladies event is 10 X. And he said, why do I have to pay 10 X? That's so discouraging for me. Um, and lots of other stuff. So then I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to have a conversation with him because I really don't want him to think that this is a thing that he can, he can do. Um, so he agreed to have a conversation with me on the break. He showed me the statement that he has now released. Um, and he, I don't want to say I could take everything he said at face value because I've, we've all, the women that were there have seen multiple sides of Dave and I got to see multiple sides and, part of his story, like he was telling me, like I wasn't there and I didn't see how he was behaving. He said that he didn't want to, he never wanted to make a woman feel uncomfortable, that he feels like his, that he was put on this planet to protect women. And, uh, and there was a conversation that me and several ladies were having at the final table away from the table. We were just having a private conversation about why these, why ladies events are so important. And we were just sharing our individual experiences as women uh, navigating the world, which is there's a lot of overlap, a lot of shared experiences that women have as, when we walk out of the door about being on alert and the dangers we face as women that are naturally unique to us being women uh, as it relates to threats from men. And so how these spaces in poker, like women's spaces and male dominated spaces create a unique opportunity for women to not have to be on guard when they show up to play. And he overheard this conversation and he referenced it and he said, it was all fun and games. And then I heard this conversation, uh, that you were having. And then I realized like, I don't ever want to make a woman feel unsafe. I never want that. And if there's even one woman that feels unsafe. I don't want to do that. At this point, his friend, who I now know is Tony Custino, uh, uh, I think that's his name. Um, do you know who I'm talking about, Berkey? I, I He's don't. a well-known. I'm sure if well, I saw somewhat. him, I'm positive Cousineau, if I saw him, Tony I would recognize him. Yeah, I had to look it up to make sure I said it right. At that point, he came over and um, and Tony came over and was like, "Hey, like." you know, Ebony wanted to talk to me and she was explaining and 
Dave explained to Tony that, you know, some women feel unsafe and, um, you know, they want to just be able to come and like relax. And this idea that, um, people are unsafe was very like that some women might feel unsafe or not even want to deal with, um, kind of that energy. They expect one thing, they show up and then they get something like Dave staring them down when their head's up right? This is like energy that you don't expect to kind of get and not staring them down when your head's up, but it's like the, the very violent looks that he had on his face. It was extremely, extremely aggressive, very uncomfortable. And yeah. Uh, so when he was explaining this to Tony, Tony was just like, Oh, that's a joke. He's like, you don't feel like that to me. And I was like, look, I don't, I don't speak for all women, you know, like we're not a monolith and that's why these spaces are here. And then he immediately brings up, um, an MMA fighter, a trans fighter and was like, yeah, but this, this dude, this and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, well, um, she is, this is, she did not sit down to play poker. This is not part of that conversation. And then he was very adamant. He's like, he, you think it's a she da, 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 da. And I was like, okay. And so I decided to immediately, I was like, I could see where this was going. So I said, okay, we're not talking about trans athletes. We're talking about Dave, a man who chose to play a ladies event. These are two separate things. And he says, yeah, but have, he goes, have you seen some of these women? He goes, I walked into the ladies event and I was looking around and I was like, oh, where are the men? Or he's like, I thought, what did he say? Where are the women? He's like, uh, he's like, they're like walking around looking like this. He goes, some of them look bigger and tougher than me. And, and I was like, okay, you don't get to speculate on women's appearances. This is not up for debate. And I shut him down with that. And then I could see Dave was like, let's just keep it focused on the women in poker because Tony was very anti, anti-women, anti-trans women, anti-everything in his statements and being very aggressive to me. And I, I said to him, I was like, why do you think it's okay to say this to me? And he was like, well, because you're different. And so because I fit some box in Tony's mind, that is an okay woman, right? Like he looks at me as like, I qualify as a woman in his mind, then, then he can say these things to me. And it just, it kind of, it was wild to me. My jaw literally dropped with everything that he kept saying, because I couldn't believe that he was comfortable saying these things to me while I'm trying to have a conversation with him about the way that they are treating women and showing up and kind of pissing in women's like pissing in Cheerios and women's spaces. And if he can say those types of things to me, it's like, imagine what he's saying to like in spaces where there's no women present. And it's just, that kind of speaks of like the intention for them for the entire thing. Like this wasn't trying to prove a point and this idea that they're just trying to, Oh, they want to protect women. And it's like, you want to protect women by invading spaces for women. How is that protecting women? And they're just trying to make it something it's not. And Dave agreed that he would take out the trans comments, um, from his statement. Cause I told him that it had nothing to do with that. He agreed. Clearly, um, he left it in, um, but I just, <laughs> I just think he's full of shit, regardless of how he was feeling in the moment. I think, um, like his ego was bruised at the thought of like hurting a woman in the way that whatever he was, however he was feeling, but with everything that was said to me that day, everything that I witnessed, everything that has been coming out since then, it's just 
this is not someone who genuinely cares about women in these types of spaces, regardless of what he says. Yeah, I, I think hearing this story and, you know, coming from a small town myself, I, I think what I interpret this as is when when you speak of women, you correctly are very inclusive with that term. So you aren't qualifying uh, who fits under that umbrella in any capacity. Basically, if you identify, you fit, right? When Dave speaks of women, he is he has a very strict narrative in his head, right? It, uh, it, it describes a woman who looks a certain way, who behaves a certain way, who speaks a certain way, uh, who carries herself in a certain way, and in his mind probably doesn't even play poker. Right. Uh, and I know that that's a, a weird nuanced detail to dig in on, but I believe like it, it's pretty likely that it comes from some sort of, um, you know, uh, deep rooted misogyny where women belong in the kitchen and men belong gambling type of, of uh, back and forth. Uh, I guess my follow up here is how, how can we find a way to ensure and protect these events such that they continue to grow in the capacity that they have been and continue to facilitate uh, being an on-ramp for uh, more women in this space if we understand that we have to coexist with people who aren't as progressive, who haven't caught up necessarily to, um, to the idea that you, you know, they're, they're, the gender is relatively fluid. And I'm not even necessarily implying that any of us have to take a stance on uh, gender biology versus uh, gender fluidity or anything along those lines. But what I'm getting at is like, clearly this is a divisive topic. And uh, currently we're trying to create a safe space for one specific disenfranchised group in our, in our arena, which is women as a whole. Um, how, how can operators do a better job in your opinion? If I, if I may. I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I want to I, I want to comment on what you say, Matt, and say this. We actually do have to have a conversation about trans women uh, because it's impossible to have a conversation about women in poker and what it means to create safe space and inclusion and on ramp and really not address why it's triple important. So then recognize the, you know, the rights and kind of unique challenges of trans women. Um, I want to say that in, in our group in Pocket Queens, we, we have trans women, uh, both professionals, recreational. Uh, we, um, we love them. We support them. Uh, we want to make sure that we protect them even more than we protect everybody else. Because they, in some sense, have it, have it just absolutely worse. Um, and uh, it is because we are trying to be inclusive and speak for them and, uh, you know, just, you know, trans women are women. This, 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 this is that simple, but it's not that simple. And they are used as excuse for people like Dave to essentially come in and troll, right, and say they, they let you get away with anything these days. So all I have to say is that, you know, I identify as a woman and, and clearly that is done in bad faith. So this distinction is incredibly soft, good faith, bad faith, right? You can't legislate a guy about, you know, around this. Uh, you know, casino operators, they want to touch it with eight-foot pole. 
Uh, you know, their legal teams are, 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 are all up in arms. And it's a lot easier to just cancel women's events and not have to deal with, you know, this blue reliance and, um, and just complexity uh, and hate that these kinds of topics tend to tend to you know spring then that actually have a conversation and find some you know productive way to move forward yeah so it's i guess that's that's my question what is the more productive way to move forward and i don't necessarily know that we're going to get to an answer but i think it's a it's a burning question i mean i can i can speak a little bit to you know, what's happening right now is definitely the way forward, because I think what all of us have understood over the last however many years is the answer is not going to come from the operators. It's not going to come from the site. Is it going to make them money? And if it's not, they don't care about it. So the way forward is exactly what's happening with Pocket Queens. It's what's happening with Poker Power all of these extra efforts are coming from outside groups and people because they do care. And quite frankly, they're smarter and they'll do a better job too. So the more groups, the better, the more they expand, the better. And I think also just more people in poker who, especially women who are known for being, you know, a player or a figure or or anything like that to kind of take a stand in in helping new players get get into the game i mean this is the 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 group victoria that you started is an offshoot of a of of something that that we did last summer right like this is how the group formed i i created a a a coaching giveaway and enlisted a bunch of women to to coach some first-time women playing the wsop ladies event for the very first time and I gave you a group of three or four ladies and said, okay. can you take a group of three or four? And you took it and ran with it. And these are exactly the kinds of things that, that need to happen. This is the path forward. The path forward is not with the casinos. The path forward is but, not with the poker rooms. They're all men. There are, there are not enough women in, in management positions. There never will be. I hate to tell I, you. And most, I don't, and most of the casinos do not care about poker. This is something you have to understand. They don't give a shit about poker, you guys. So it's a really big barrier that you're up against. Don't count on them for help. They will not help you. They don't want to help you. They don't believe in it. It, If I may, I don't think that the path forward on a large scale for us to really break through is to, to think that it's to exclude um, casinos, poker operators, uh, floor staff. Cause I, I think what we, I think the way through is to include people to include, never happened before. Right. Like, and, and I mean, but that doesn't mean we stop trying. That doesn't mean we stop trying. I understand. I understand that. That's, that, that doesn't that's mean we stop trying. Helping. That's the opposite. Right. If, 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 if I may, I, I will say that, um, um, I have worked now with Horseshoe Baltimore Casino to plan their first ever ladies event, working with their poker manager, Mario, who reached out to me to plan it, that the casinos in Maryland, Christopher Angelo, Adam Boone, Patrick Spinella, Brandon Lavinia, um, Chris McCall, especially Mike Smith, they're all amazing, really care about women in poker and um, have created a monthly ladies event at Maryland Live, working with Plon. 
And uh, MGM is, is returning their ladies events. They're having one on the day after Mother's Day. And um, so on May 21st is the one with Horseshoe that I'm working with that I help plan. Um, and so that's really amazing. I've also started a Twitter events committee so that we can plan Twitter events where women are tweeting their experiences and suggestions on how to how to improve the game for women. Anybody can join that at um, at tinyurl.com forward slash women play poker because that's the hashtag we're using, hashtag women play poker. And so I think there is, because I come from the nonprofit world. Um, I was social media director and executive assistant of a nonprofit for four years, working with voting rights and then also with the National Coalition for the Homeless. So I still work with those nonprofits. So for me, we there, there's different roles for people to always play. And one of those roles can be on the ground, organizing the invitationals. One of the roles can be getting women involved on social media. And like there's a Maryland Live dealer who's making her debut appearance in live poker at the Horseshoe event. And she's coming to support me. So I don't think that we necessarily have to exclude um, the casino management, but we do have to realize who's on our side and who's not and how we can better influence them. And, you know, I love a diverse group of voices. And I think the fact that we all have differences of opinion on here is amazing and shouldn't deter anybody because women are not all of the same. So we all have our own ideas. Yeah, I, I think all three of you make really valid points. Uh, and I think that the answer probably lies somewhere in between. Um, I think Caitlin's points are really uh, worth taking to heart in the sense that whether you're talking about any sort of movement or progression or even just uh, trying to bring something to scale, you're, you're going to have the big, the, the, the people who are moving big pieces that are dealing with the operators that are trying to uh, actually impart change at a large scale. And then you're going to have the boots on the ground people that are hustling to uh, ensure that these events are protected, that they're able to uh, continually improve numbers, get it out on social. Um, I, you know, I, it didn't really dawn on me, but hearing Katie and Ebony both speak, I, I do think that maybe the answer lies within these groups working in coordination with casinos, right? Because um, Katie, you're 100% right that casinos don't make any money off poker and it's at the bottom of their list. So they're they're not going to go above and beyond. But I do kind of want to push back a little bit in the sense that uh, they do care enough to at least try. Uh, now, they try and fail a lot, but these lady events, or sorry, these women's events, they're not... Uh, they're not sparse. Uh, you know, there's a whole week of them during the WSOP where they know that they have the clientele in town. So it's the WSOP followed by the win, followed by the ARIA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They do actually put forth the effort and it's low cost. But what we're ultimately trying to arrive at is how can they create a more protected environment that isn't going to have the defectors like Dave who just show up and, and register and perhaps... They don't take it seriously. That's why. Because you're saying that there's efforts. Sure. I'm saying that there's not, right? Because those efforts and what Caitlin's talking about, you know, has been done many times mm -hmm. at many casinos across the country. The problem is, is that there's no continuity. So these efforts are largely the result of a few people within the casino on the local level, right? Yeah, it's like the people that Caitlin is working with, whether it's an MGM property, whether it's a Caesars property, the people that Caitlin is working with are in the casino. That's where they work. 
So you have to understand what kind of pull and what kind of decision-making capacity they have. They do not dictate the corporate policy when it comes to this kind of stuff. So what happens is you'll have a local effort that will exist for a few years. And then those people will move on to another casino or another industry. And then your lady's effort is gone. And, and this, and this is what happens because there's no overarching official recommendation or policy or even what policy would you have changed that's the that's the question because there's nothing they can do legally to uh to to shun men from playing in most states i i think there are laws yeah which is why we're in the situation that prevent the prices from being or or prevent exclusion based on so in in nevada uh it's different. Is that why they can make it um, like, you know, a $10,000 buy-in and then it's a thousand for women and that kind of deters men from playing, but they can't do that so, in other states. Is that how it yeah, works? Yeah, they're just positioning it as a discount for women. Right. So it's not what right. they're $10,000 buy-in and you get the $9,000 discount. Right. Correct. Mm -hmm. But they yeah. could do that anywhere, which right? Is, yeah. which, is wh which is what they should, I mean, at the very minimum should be doing anywhere yeah they should and and i don't know why it's ten thousand it should be a million dollars right like that would like because because <laughs> some guys will like we've seen people like put up ten thousand and still play yeah but at right? some point you have Which, to not like at some point you have to accept the gift right yeah that's true <laughs> yeah we'll make it you know i don't know, make it 50 or a hundred thousand if they want to put it a hundred thousand and you know a hundred buy-ins in themselves then have at it i think everyone would welcome that yeah uh i i think i have one more thing uh Oh, go ahead, Abby. Um, I was just going to say like, yeah, like maybe we are unable to change things at a casino level, but I think a good way to like encompass everything that I'm trying to push for is at an individual level, we can all be better about sticking up for people who are experiencing um, sexism, misogyny, transphobia, racism, anything like that at the table for, as both men and women. Um, and I don't think that's too much to ask. I think that's definitely something that everyone can be better about. And it's also really tangible and can allow for a space or a safer space in general for the future. I, I think that's a really great point. And it will carry us into the conversation with Lindsay. Uh, I don't want to necessarily shift off of this uh women's event thing just yet though uh go ahead ebony what were you gonna say i was just gonna say um chess and poker have a lot of overlap and chess has a very successful um they have they've done a really good job of creating spaces just for women um that from what i have seen has not you know a lot of like transphobic men it doesn't seem like they're targeting uh, these spaces. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's outliers and there's, you know, extremists that are, that are, uh, but I think that we could, as an industry kind of look to an industry that's very similar to ours and, and see what they have done and learn from, from that and learn from their mistakes to see what it is we can implement. And honestly, the people that are crying the loudest about, um, you know, why do women need their own spaces? Like these are people that, that probably don't even leave their house to play poker. And it's like this, this social media, um, like these, these keyboard warriors and social media, it's just like, have you thought about it from like, Oh, if my mom or my sister or, you know, someone I care about was to sit down and play and like get harassed. And, and they have this idea where I had to deal with harassment. I shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be this special. And it's just like, just 
realize that there's spaces for women, there's spaces for marginalized communities in, in every single industry, like to support like growth and support. And it's, it's really important. And I just, I just feel like chess specifically is some is an industry that we could look to, to see what it is that they've been implementing and implementing what it is that they're doing. And we could use that as a starting point. Katie, could you speak a little bit on that? Because I'm not entirely certain how uh, the the segregation works in chess, uh, given that it's not a dollar amount buy-in. I, I could probably talk about this. I, I grew up playing chess. I was chess master. Um, you know, I come to, to poker from chess and uh, uh, growing up in uh, just this concept that there are, you know, in chess, not only there are girls' events and women events, there are open events. Women can play in open events. Men cannot play in, uh, you know, in women events. They have they carry a title. You could have be a women master. You could be women international master. You can be women grandmaster, right? So there is a rating system which is unified. Um, and again, women can compete with men, uh, and the best of them do. But at the same time, there there is a there is a separate world. So I think I could speak on the mechanics of this. Um, to what extent there is a difference between chess and poker? I think there are some. Chess, by and large, is not a commercial endeavor. You kind of don't make money playing chess tournaments. The, the ecosystem is different. Uh, poker, because it's um, um, there's, there's much more direct relationship with money, and you go to poker tournaments to, to win, and you can win a lot. I think it does introduce the dimension the chess community doesn't have to deal with. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess uh, that that was that was kind of the qualifying question I was asking: is, is is it literally just the money differential that allows it to be so much more kind in the chess community? In the sense that, like, um, because there's a division there and there's no real money to be had, it's just accolades and uh, you know your your ranking system or your elo score uh there's no incentive for uh, a dave like person to go play in the females tournament is that correct yeah i, I don't think there is money you know monetary incentive that you that you have in uh in a poker community although i'm going back to my point is that if you're going to spend three hundred dollars in a buy-in i actually don't buy it that the women's events are softer i think they're actually tougher yeah, but you know that's that's subjective, I guess, and doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's still driven by right. money but, incentive but as well is, as like troll that, incentive. Yeah, exactly. Troll, troll incentive is definitely big here. Um, I, I think it boils down to traditions. Women, women poker, sorry, women chess has just always kind of been a thing, and um, uh, women in poker just never been a thing. So you, you're dealing with a lot of cultural legacy here. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I guess like let, let me let me pose the question one final way, and then uh, we can kind of transition a little bit into the environment. But uh, from from hearing this discussion, it seems like there's a place for these third party groups or safe spaces that exist, be it uh, you know Poker Power, uh, Pocket Queens, uh, what have you, or maybe it's even at the tour level with like WPT, WSOP, however you do it, but. Is, do, you, do you see it as viable that they can take on the burden of privatizing these tor tournaments, making them exclusive to women only, 
and uh you know dealing with whatever ramification there is or, or lack thereof i guess because like from the cash game space i can go to the bellagio tomorrow and rent a table it just costs me a little extra money and then i can seclude however i choose right i can include and exclude whoever i want in this game and i can only imagine that uh the same could occur at the tournament level maybe it's an additional cost maybe it's not well uh, we're, we're witnessing something interesting so i don't know if you've monitored twitter this morning so so bill uh Bill Perkins, right? Yeah. He comes out and puts his voice uh, and, and 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 says, "Okay, I kind of." He doesn't say I stand with women, but he he kind of has a you know tough talk about uh, you know women not being treated well by poker community, being in the news lately. And then he comes out and basically says, "Yes, I am going to have basically a guarantee 50k overlay. Let's put together a women event at the large poker club around May 15 or something like this." Um, and so that's that's something interesting that's happening in real time. What I find fascinating is that right after that was posted, there was a subthread, and I don't know where it's gone since we've been on this podcast. But essentially, somebody immediately asked Bill, "Okay, how do you define a woman?" Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can find that that tweet as well. Um, I'm not going to read it verbose, but he basically says, "Well, whoever was kind of a born born a woman, right?" Um, to which immediately, of course, people challenge, including myself and Ebony, right, to say, "You know, Bill, please reconsider." That's that that's kind of the whole point that you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're going to run this thing, and this is obviously a private effort at this point in time. Um, then you have to figure out how to make it for you know women but don't define as a you know somebody who was actually born a born a woman right and, and that that kind of crux of the thing yeah we, we gotta figure that out and i don't know how yeah. we will end up figuring this out i actually offered my help privately uh to bill i messaged him and offered my help and he was like we got it you know um but when we asked like how can we do better it's like include women whenever you are creating these events it's it, like it's just you know when we we think about like representation inclusion it's just exactly. like you don't have a, t a table full of men talking about how they can make it better for women just like as a black woman i'm not going to be like i'm not going to listen to like a table full of white people telling me how they can make it more inclusive for me if they don't have anyone who understands my frame of reference and my experience and that's the thing is like so i hope that bill i don't know who bill has helping but i hope it's not just him and doug because what the fuck like <laughs> <Right>. i'm <laughs> yeah. sorry but <laughs> this is this is not who when i think of people who are and, and i'm not talking about bill but you know when he makes a statement it's like okay when i think about people who are on the ground and like working in, and and really working hard to be considering women in poker doug Polk does not come to mind um at all you know yeah at all <laughs> I, I i think i i think this this is like i'm glad you brought this up victoria because i do think this is the crux of the issue is that um this is an impossible task for operators and that that was where my line of questioning was going was if you all took on this burden of being the ones who segregated the event and made it for women only how exactly do you navigate gender fluidity and then my follow-up basically which is what i'll ask now is is there a better way to segregate rather than based off of biological gender or uh self-identifying gender because women aren't the only disenfranchised group i guess is is my point there are plenty of minorities 
and I don't know. I, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just pulling at a thread here. I don't know if this is even the correct line of logic, but it's it's a it's a tough task in my mind to understand how we can both be exclusive and inclusive simultaneously in order to pursue something that will ultimately lead to being completely inclusive. Um, and I know that this is a fool's errand to try to hash this out right now on, on, on the mics, but you're all here and I'd love to hear your thoughts as far as like the direction that it's heading. I don't think making spaces for women is taking away spaces for men. Oh, I the agree with that for that sure. Creating, but the idea, I, I, there's a lot of people, a, a lot of um, people that will do this. Like, what about like, just because you create spaces doesn't mean you're taking away from something else and having representation. And it's, it's this creating a space for women is not making it exclusionary. It's just making a safe space that's that women can feel vulnerable and represented. And they know that they can come and play without getting harassed by men, hopefully. Right. Like that's, that's the whole point. Mm. And when you think about like the minute that Diana, finish the tournament i she's part of my embodied confidence group and the minute that it was done she hugged me and she was like i'm so glad you're here she's like i feel so bad that i lost she's like i feel like i disappointed every single woman that played this event and it's like that was so heartbreaking and when when we start thinking about like, oh, we're creating these spaces that it's like, oh, this is stop centering yourself in these experiences. This is a space for women. And the, and the thing is, is that when other people who are not in this group, they just look at it and they're like, wait a minute, why am I not included? Why am I not this? This is not about you. And it's okay that it's not about you. The, the entire industry is about you. The entire industry is catered to you. The, the advertising, the marketing, when you think about WPT and the Royal Flush Girls, like everything about poker has been specifically catered and for men. So just because we have these spaces, like we're trying to take a small portion of that and just be considerate of a marginalized group in this industry, it does not mean that we're being exclusionary, that we're excluding people. And I think people need to stop centering themselves in these experiences and just let us have our spaces because we're not saying like, Oh, we're going to take up this space and you can't come. We're just like, Hey, we're creating this space. This didn't exist. We're not taking anything from you. We're creating this. And it's like, okay, if we're, having a party and you didn't get an invite and now you're pissed you didn't get an invite so therefore there should be no party like that's it's it's such it's such bullshit yeah i I think that's really well said and uh it wasn't the question that i was asking so i I may have i may have asked it poorly uh what i was basically saying is um it's a tall order to uh, whether we like i don't want to debate whether or not exclude is the right word but in order to create Mm -hmm. an environment that does not include men um you know, you, you have to create some sort of barrier of entry, right? Uh, the problem is that there's so much gray as far as like what is now being, uh, tolerated as far as like gender goes. So if we are going to be completely inclusionary, as far as people's identification, gender fluidity, and things of that nature, what then can we lean on as, as the, uh, the clear indicator that somebody does or does not qualify for an event. And, I don't know. Uh, Let's figure this out. But it's like <laughs> saying that it's gray. Of course it's gray. But it's also like math is hard. Let's go shopping, right? Yeah, this stuff <laughs> right. is hard. Yeah, which yeah. is why we need to figure this out. And part of the answer, you want to, if you're at 
operator, tour operator, casino operator, you know, private event operator, and you want to champion women's cause, you want to support the the opportunities. The first thing to do is, as Ebony said, involve women. We will help you figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think like any level of empowerment at that at that degree uh is is obviously worth a lot. And again, I, like, a, I, yeah. I wanted to say something really Please. fast. Yeah, yeah. Um just because I you know, the the issue of men playing women's tournaments is not new, right? Like this has been an issue in poker for a very long time. Um the casino we know that the operators are very limited in what they're legally allowed to do, physically capable. But one of the things I've never understood, and I guess I've never really talked to any tournament directors about this specifically, um, is that they do have the ability to do some things. So if a man plays a ladies event, like this one that just did in Florida, uh, if I was a tournament director, I would have some kind of policy and I just wouldn't let him come back or I wouldn't let him play in the next tournament or I'd, tell him he's got a seven day ban that's that's an interesting uh yeah that's an interesting approach that um you know it's an annoying ask of operators but i think it's the right way to go because what i'm gathering from this conversation here is that the true answer lies in social pressure right at at the end of the day we have to uh we have to apply some level of pressure socially to move the overton window uh, enough that people are discouraged and this becomes norm uh, or normal that uh, we can, you know, very quickly identify what is inclusive. Right. Um, and I, I do kind of like the idea that Katie's kind of leaning on where we just empower the floor to use it at their discretion to eject somebody from the event. Right. So this guy claims that uh, he's identifying as a woman when he goes to the, to the, register right you should never put it on the cashier to decide just right. sign him up fine but now once he gets into the event when women overhear him like boasting to his buddy that this is a troll just kick him out just get him out no refund you're out and, you know and one of the i think there's a lot of different ideas it's kind of weird that and of course we're all for you know trans women are women we're all for trans rights it's kind of weird though that in florida that is so has a governor that is so transphobic that you know is is limiting you know what trans people can do and can't do as basic as going to the bathroom or being able to live with their parents if they have supportive parents it's like then florida's like oh we can't stop a man from entering the women's tournament though right and it's like how does that work but also like trans women should be able to be included in the spaces and not feel like if they win that it's going to be a big deal and instead they won't even play women's events even though they realize the importance and i think some of the solutions um for instance at mgm the floor told me like no you guys should have been able to go to the floor without feeling any kind of way and um the floor should have when he overheard all of the things that he was there to overhear like if he was here playing at this at MGM National Harbor, he would have been kicked out. Yeah. And in casinos, there like is no cussing like from any gender, like from one to another, like being rude and things like that. So I think little things like that can implement and empower you. And also, if a man tries to, you know, enter in a women's tournament, have them sign a waiver. Have everyone that signs in sign a waiver that says you will not 
be sexist. You will not do this. Initial right here, initial right here, initial right here. This is why we have women's events. And maybe the time they get finished that, they'll be like, oh no. But also <laughs> like, they'll know you're about to be banned if you act up and aren't supportive. And I think another cry is that women are saying, have told me that they want higher buy-in events. If every event at a series is $400, then why is the women's event 250 when women are willing to pay the $400 as well and get a higher guarantee and be more, you know, it's like a respect thing as well. Like as Victoria was saying, it's like a skill level as well. And women don't like locally. Yes. You can have the the lower buy-ins, but you know, it doesn't deter women from paying a thousand dollars at the WSOP. So I've also heard that as well. I've heard um, people talking about different like co-ed tournaments maybe to get more women into poker and there's been a lot of different ideas and I think with the women's organizations you know we all need to come out of our silos this is a thing in the nonprofit world too it's an intersectional issue all come together and work to find viable solutions and work some of us work with the casinos some of us work with the players that say you need to be more respectful and just we all have our different roles to play yeah, I, I think that's very well stated. I, I do like this idea of, um, you know, applying social pressure to the point where it's actually policed at the at the operator level. I think that the more we normalize that, the easier it becomes for them to just like, you know, offer penalties for people who just don't really want to agree to something that the majority of the the players who have signed up have have kind of come into agreement with. Um, sticking with that theme, I, I kind of want to dig in a little bit on uh what has recently happened to Lindsay, uh both with regards to at the table as well as like the follow-up uh first and foremost like giving the backstory of this i wasn't even aware of the initial um whatever you want to call it confrontation between you and stan lee uh where he had some very choice words that i'd rather not repeat um i guess you know i'm sure all of you can speak to negative experiences at the table where you were disrespected in some sort of capacity, especially for uh, just your gender alone. But why don't you walk us through a little bit of that experience and then um, maybe a, a little bit of a follow-up with the thread that Todd created. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, real fast, I wanted to, just so that they don't go out of my mind, um, I I loved what, what the discussion has been prior and everything that that the girls have said has been fantastic i think and um and it is it's discussions like this where we just hash out like here's an idea here's an idea here's an idea um as women especially to like come together in order to propose something to different casinos um and that is something that like i think has been has happened and has been successful when we have done it um the you know the initial ladies mo uh, meetup game you know was a cash game so it's like it was a different setting no men could enter because it's like as was discussed before we're privately renting those tables basically um you know and we had hundreds of hundreds of women turn up for that um and it was so successful that like um you know wt wpt paired with us for like the second one and uh and jamie kerstetter obviously like headlined all of that and um and brought all that stuff together um but like one thing I just it's like three questions kind of just to um, to kind of highlight the points that um, 
that Ebony especially was talking about in terms of like, I think it very perfectly encapsulates things that like, I don't think for the most part, people should be discussing things that they have no clue what they're talking about, basically. Like as um, there are, I would say majority of men have never experienced what it's like to um, ask a casino floor uh, to walk you to your car at the end of the night unless you've got a shit ton of cash cash on you. (laughs) But like, because you're uncomfortable walking to the parking garage by yourself. I valet my car most of the time, honestly, just because I don't want to walk in the parking garage at three by myself. And is that something that a man is, knows what that feels like? No. And, uh, and that's, you know, an entirely different discussion. But again, just saying that like, these are specific things that, uh, you know, I'll call someone sometimes to walk into my house um, after I've parked or something um, so that I'm on the phone while I walk, you know, 20 feet into my house in, in the middle of the night. Um, these are things that, like, we have to consciously, consciously think of constantly. And men just don't. And, um, and that's, you know, like, that just is kind of the way it works. And, and so having people who don't understand some of these very, very specific things about what it is like for just a woman to navigate the world in general um you know like women should be having most of those um and like i said i think ebony pointed that out perfectly of just like you know you can't have eight people at the table eight men like telling women kind of how to um what we should do to make them more comfortable like have eight women at the table telling you um how to make you more comfortable and um and to go into some of the specific um I'll probably shoot off in a couple different directions um, because there was so much said, obviously, um, by the ladies before me. Um, But one specific point, too, I wanted to make sure and bring up um, was, you know, in in terms of talking about operations, um, you know, I I said this on um, Will's Twitter space the other night where it's like there are specific poker rooms that I you know, that I do feel more comfortable playing in. And so I do think that there are operators who have taken initiative environment. Um, is that, you know, does that need to be an expectation for every person to bring those things in? Like, it doesn't have to be. But the reality is that me as a customer is going to frequent a place that makes me feel comfortable and safe. And there are certain people that do that, and there are certain ones that don't. Um, and so this does lead into, you know, what transpired with Stanley at Venetian. And one of the first things that I said off the bat, you know, is that like there, I, I don't know if it's just because of the player pool, player type, um, operators, what it is, but, um, but I don't think that that situation would have escalated the way that it did in another casino. Um, I think that, and I've been in this situation because, as I said before, I have, I've been playing live cash for 10 years, and, uh, and so this is not the first time that a scenario like this has occurred. And, um, and it is unfortunately, um, you know, on, on dealers to, to uh, make calls and give warnings and stuff like that, but I've seen it happen. Um, you know, multiple times where you get, you know, a player gets a warning just like they do with any type of language. Um, so there, so that scenario specifically, um, and I, I did, I talked about this some on Will's space the other night where um, it, 
honestly, like, uh, like truthfully, like kind of took more of it than I did partially because like I was then gone from the table. I busted the tournament. I'm away from the table and, uh, and Stan like continued. Um, so I wasn't there to def defend myself or, or hear much about it. So I was getting some secondhand information. What he did do when I was at the table, um, you know, was, um, talk about my sexuality in a degrading way. Um, and put, you know, like my, my life, who I am, um, on display. And which again, it's like, I see, like, I can see both sides. Um, and it's, you know, because I can like look at the angle too, that it's like, I, um, I understand, I know very well that like, I say provoking things that definitely make men uncomfortable. <laughs> and I do that intentionally. I really do. Um, because again, it's like that, um, that has been something that like, I like, you make me uncomfortable. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Like, I'm just going to fight back a little bit. And, um, and having been in this industry for a really long time, like that's, um, like I said, just something that I have that's sort of like been the armor that I wear is like, you're not going to get to me. Um, and, and so this initial scenario, um, I did, I was wearing a ring, um, on my, on my right ring finger. And, um, and I don't even think it was Stan at first who asked me about the ring and, uh, and the commentary immediately was like, wow, you must be really rich, like, or your husband must be really rich, buy you a ring like that, does he buy you into tournaments, like, da, 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 da. So just this narrative that, like, I don't earn my seat here. And, um, and I made a joke. I said, I'm not married, but my boyfriend is. And so, like, again, like, I put this out there. Like, I made this commentary. I made this joke at my expense. Um, because, again, like, I have unfortunately developed a defense mechanism that – um, because these type of comments have been made to me for so long is that like, I'm not going to let you make fun of me first. Like I'm going to say it about myself so that you like, don't get the chance to. And, um, and whether that's the right way to handle it, like, I don't know, but, uh, that has been my defense mechanism. And, um, and so, you know, like there were some different, like we were just kind of like laughing about it. The guy who initially asked me the question about my ring, like thought it was really funny and Stan was basically like, whoa, 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 like, let's talk, like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, da, 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 um, and just was like, that's absolutely, like, not okay for you to do that. A woman should be going home to her man at the end of the night, um, and just, like, made some different comments about, um, about, like, how, um, yeah, like, a real man, like, wouldn't let his woman do that, um, and he didn't initially like when I like I said like kind of in the middle of some of this stuff like I busted that tournament and uh and he continued going on so like to my face at the table like he didn't call me a slut then um he said those he said those words after I had left the table um and and so as I said in the beginning like some of that stuff like honestly like I like kind of took some of the brunt of it and um and and she took some of the brunt of it also because she was standing up for me. Um, you know, again, is like, what positions are we putting people in to 
going back to, you know, like um, operators and stuff, like most people, men, women, anyone are going to be, I'm not super comfortable like standing up in that moment and being like, I'm going to like stand up and talk back to this person or I'm going to call floor or whatever it is. Um, and so like putting that on a person in particular um, to do that, like is, is not like, that's, that's not something that I feel comfortable asking another person either. So I don't know exactly in that scenario what, um, you know, I don't know that it would have escalated to the point that it did. Um, if, you know, I would have just kind of like, quietly you know busted went to another table and like that conversation happened and I never heard about it and it was never tweeted about or whatever like I don't know where that come or where that goes um but because people are you know standing up for these issues um then you know it becomes broadcast and it becomes a larger talking um which is a good thing but I think It also, I mean, it's been happening for a really long time. And, and one of the most specific things that, um, that I want to look at in this scenario is, um, and what I wanted at the time was, and why I, you know, like I spoke with Tommy afterwards, um, tournament director at, at Venetian. He was really willing to, you know, sit down and, and talk with me about the altercation or like what had happened and how I felt. And, um, there, that that type of scenario is going to happen. It happens constantly. Like you sit down at a table and it's instant like, oh, wow, like girls who look like you don't usually play poker or like blah, blah, blah. Like there's all sorts of barrage of comments that um, come anytime a woman sits down at a poker table. And, um, and there are so many like un kind of unclaimed voices that like that happens to and we never see them again. And so again like this larger issue of like how are we creating a space that more women want to play this game that we love and that um you know in these spaces that are being created for women how do we do that so that like this kind of thing doesn't happen and then that girl we never see her again um because that definitely has happened a lot of times yeah i, I think that this story really resonates because um you know as i kind of mentioned earlier the the, the poker environment, especially the cash game environment, which you're probably a lot more familiar with, it, it's one where uh, how you're winning becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. And unfortunately, it tends to be from the most narrow-minded, belligerent people that are, are kind of willing to make others uncomfortable. So uh, I do feel like there is a very tiny responsibility that we all undertake whenever we choose to enter this arena to play. Uh, that being said, I also think that there is a baseline level of respect that every single person who sits down at the table deserves. And certain, top, certain topics, certain subjects just should be, you know, completely off limit. Um, I think that when it comes to these scenarios, and I'll open up to the floor to kind of speak on, um, in, in the near term, one of the best things that can happen is a lot of eyeballs get on it, right? Like Stan's a regular, everybody knows who he is, this is something that should follow him around. And honestly, I don't even know that he cares that much that it does, but at least it's something where in the future, it'll be a lot easier for people to proactively speak up because they kind of already know going in that he's a loaded gun in this sense, right? Uh, as antiquated as it was, I think even Todd's post 
kind of resurged the conversation. And I don't really know that there's much good that I can pull from it. Like I, I comb through, I read it. It's obviously a very uh, antiquated viewpoint and not one that is really in line with modern times and probably aligns a lot more with Stan than anybody else. But I will say that he did at least go to the lengths of like calling out bad behavior the way that he saw it. Now, albeit it came with a lot of caveats of why this bad behavior exists, which is insane. But um, it, it's it's something that's worth noting in the sense of uh, this conversation needs to be had at a larger scale, right? Uh, because it, it, it's it's very consistent, and I'm sure everybody on this panel can speak to it to some degree, that women don't feel comfortable in an environment where no one else looks like them. And that's completely understandable. I wouldn't feel... I, I've said this many times. People ask me, have you been to Macau? And I said, no. Like, I culturally do not fit in there. And I would not feel comfortable at a table with eight people not speaking my language, uh, with, with you know, an environment that I'm not very comfortable in. Like, that's no way to even though I don't necessarily consider poker to be much gambling, like that's no environment to be in whenever you are risking money uh, at, at a rapid rate. And that's just, in that instance, it's on me, right? Like I'm the one who needs to to culture myself and, and blend in. But when it comes to the general environment, uh, the disenfranchised groups, the onus is not on them to like come and sit down and blend in. You know, this isn't 1800s where uh we're playing a blood sport of some sort so uh i guess at this point like i'd like to turn it over to the group and hear any closing thoughts anybody might have when it comes to bettering the environment suggestions any of you all may have that we as individuals can do better that operators can do better uh, i know katie you and i have spoken about this at length many many times um what practically can be implemented well you know there's a lot that can be done and I spoke about this in 2019 at the TDA summit that takes place every two years. And the video of that is still on Facebook. Um, for those of you who don't know what the TDA summit is, takes place during the World Series. It's generally hosted at ARIA. About 200 tournament directors come in from around the world for two days. And that's where they talk about any rule changes to tournament poker as it relates to uh both in the U.S. and other countries, I gave some pretty specific recommendations that poker rooms can do to make poker rooms more hospitable, not just for women, but for new players in general. One of those was I suggested a zero tolerance policy code of conduct that poker rooms can adopt, meaning if there's any kind of uh, you know ill behavior towards women, they just simply get booted. Uh, Caitlin, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, the the tournament directors that you spoke with that, you know, say they've got a zero tolerance policy of some sorts and, uh, you know, that, that somebody should have been booted. The reality of that situation is, yes, there may be some good operators in that area, but the reality of the situation is there are many, many, many floor people and there's zero consistency in the opinion of how things should be handled. And very often they're handled very poorly. Um, I don't have very many good stories or experiences of any time there's an issue with a woman feeling uncomfortable that it has been handled properly. Um, second suggestion I had for the 200 tournament directors was to implement a system that Playground Poker has in Canada. They have lights on the back of the chairs 
they're used for things like chip runners and food and drinks. My suggestion was to alter that use uh, to be more of a smooth, secret way to alert a floor to come over to the table. When you're in a situation as a woman and you're dealing with harassment at the table, it's not always the best or easiest thing to do to draw attention to it. It's also not you know, always the easiest thing for anyone else at the table to get involved. If the dealer or if the player had some kind of very discreet way to notify a floor that, you know, something's going on at this table, a floor should probably make their way over and observe. Uh, the other layer that I added onto that, which was uh, I had hoped that Bravo would incorporate this into their app because a lot of poker rooms are using Bravo to manage their um to manage their tournaments is that at many, many tables now have digital screens on the tables and, you know, for a dealer to give a rating to a player based on behavior, meaning, cause you know, the dealers come in and out every 30 minutes. So if the five seats being, you know, a real asshole to the two seat, uh, they can some way indicate that so that the next dealer can understand that there's an existing situation going on here and that there are no chances should be given. Um, and then the third suggestion I had was to give the ability for the dealers to issue warnings at the table. Um, that was a, you know, a really important, uh, you know, a, you know, part of deterring the behavior. One of the things I used to do at Borgata before the big openers is, you know, the, the, the big ballrooms, you know, all the dealers sitting in there, everybody's outside. And I would take the microphone and I would address all the dealers and I would explain to them that, you know, we are trying to improve behavior at the table here at Borgata. And, you know, we are all on the same team. So if you see bad behavior, speak up because you are not changing that person probably, but what you're doing is you're helping to train and educate the culture of the environment so that everyone else at the table understands that, no, that behavior is not allowed. Um, and so have any of these things, uh, you know, been adopted? Um, I don't know. I don't play very much live poker. There's a reason for that. Um, these are some very easy things for, for casinos to do. Code of conduct, zero tolerance policy, add lights. You know, when casinos and operators start to do something tangible like this, other than just talking and adding a special event with some prizes or, or, or something like that, that's when I will believe as somebody who's been in this industry for uh, a very long time, that's when I'll believe that they start to care and that they truly are interested in growing the game. Yeah, Until I, now, it, it's it's all on our hands. It's all on your hands, all of these groups. That's where it lies. That's where the energy is. Yeah, I, I, I think this is the best example of like them, quote unquote, not caring. Um, and I think a lot of those suggestions are pretty easy to execute. Mm -hmm. They are, uh, and they just don't do anything. They, they don't do it. This right. is, you know... <laughs> so there nothing i mean nothing of you know nothing tangible has been done right that that we can see and the reason it's important to see it is not because it's important just for the women to see it it's important for the men to see it too because that's how you you know you 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 dictate the culture you uh, you know adjust the culture by getting everybody on the same page like no it's not in our house it's not going to happen and i took it as a personal you know a, a personal uh goal you know like you think of New Jersey poker, you think of Borgata poker. What do you think? Do you think of friendly, smiley faces? <laughs> <laughs>
I don't think that's what you think of. You right. know, you, you think of a pretty tough place. You know, you think of a pretty tough spot, especially for a woman in poker. So I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm going to make this the friendliest damn poker room on the East Coast, you know, and it did not work. But, you know, there, there are easy things you can do that casinos can do. And, you know, God, put your money where your mouth is. No, nobody's done anything. Yeah, I, I agree with all of those takes. I, I think that there's a certain toughness necessary to play poker based off of just the game environment itself. But when you add in the additional uh, human environment aspect to live, I think now all of a sudden the the bar of how tough and thick-skinned you have to be to even enter the arena is remarkably high. And it would be nice to, to move that bar down some, uh, make the environment a little bit friendlier, even though we are gambling uh, in this environment. Um, does anybody else have any final thoughts? I guess we can just kind of go I, around the horn. I, I do. Uh, I, I want to talk a little about sort of the role of the community and the fact that these conversations are happening and it's it's, it's all very positive. Uh, I know that on this podcast, uh, Matt, you and your crew have highlighted uh, sort of women in poker and, uh, you know, women cause in poker. We are having this panel today. You had me uh, and others on the podcast uh, in, in the past. That, that that's, that's part of building awareness and supporting. Uh, glad to see Bill jumping in. Um, this week, you know, everybody is admiring Gelfand's post, right? Uh, related to you know Doug Polk and and bullying and whatnot. And and uh, you know we are very cynical about what social media really is like. But uh, uh, I think this week and, and recently there was a lot of examples of true leaders of the community kind of speaking up on the matters of ethics. Uh, ethics is different from law. Uh, but ethics is super important. Ethics and culture, they're sort of intertwined. Um, and so I want to talk about the importance of leaders of the community kind of weighing in and saying what's okay and what's not okay. You know, it's another another aspect of peer pressure. Um, and when, uh, you know, things like what happened with, you know, Dave the Troll, um, People who are community leaders should be speaking up and putting their opinions down and saying, this is okay, this is not okay. We stand with he, her, right? We don't stand with him. We stand with they or them. And, you know, we want to see more more women events. How can we get involved to help arbitrate, you know, complicated situations? Um, and uh, this, this, this is all part of the puzzle as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a really key point, especially as somebody who's kind of, uh, been in the thick of it with uh, the Doug back and forth. Um, you know, in my experience, those arguments are won and lost based off of how clearly you can make somebody see that it's not a letter of the law issue and it's an ethical one. Um, mm -hmm. And generally speaking, in my experience, when it comes to bullies, they'll lean heavily on the uh, the backing of the letter of the law and how they're not technically doing anything wrong. Completely right. ignoring, you know, how much of an impact it actually carries forward, uh, ethically speaking. Um, and we saw a lot of that, right? Like, the fallout is very measurable uh, as far as, like, reputation, character, and even just culture goes. You know, that, that troll culture carries its way into the live arena. It, it, it does give permission to people who want to be there to make it a bad time for others. Uh, it it kind of gives them the freedom to do so without much uh in the way of being shunned so 
I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Victoria. I think that this is one of many issues that um, the more we bring it up, the more we start to at least move the needle a little bit. I, I am a little bit on uh, Katie's side of skepticism when it comes to uh, getting things organized at scale. Um, but, you know, that might just be a cart in front of the horse type of thing where it's like if we start to make a bunch of small changes here and there and say the culture changes at the win, even though it hasn't necessarily changed at the Venetian, you know, as, as, as an example, like that's still a starting point where now we start to funnel more of the customer base to a good actor as opposed to a bad. Uh, and that's probably really all we can do initially, at least at, at a community level. Yeah, I don't, and I don't mean to be, you know, a Debbie Downer. I don't mean to sound. I think you're just being realistic. You know, I'm, you know, I am being realistic. Almost 20 years in this industry in multiple roles, you know, and and that that's what I see my role as now uh, is almost like a translator. Like, look, this is this is how things work. This is this is what happens. You know, let's maybe look at maybe doing something a little bit different or applying pressure in a different area based on what has and has not worked in the past. And, you know, the idea of coming together in some way, shape or form has been discussed for years. It's something that you and I have argued very, very uh, emotionally about at times. Uh, I still do think that there is room for something like that. I, it, it's, it's, it's not something that um, I have any firm ideas about, but I am firm about the idea that the players truly need to understand who is in their corner and who's not, um, you know, and I, I know that everybody loves this game and everybody really truly wants to better the game. I don't think there can be any, argument over the effort that I've put into in my own personal career in helping women uh, succeed in this game. But I do understand now that that onus is on me. That onus is on us. That onus is not on anyone else. And yeah. once, once you realize and, that. And you know. Katie, I just want to say thank you for all your work. Thanks for bringing that realistic view. I really want to reach out and ask you to and have yeah. other discussions with you and ask you to join in the Twitter sure. committee and things like that, because like your ideas are amazing and they're things that I want to be able to present and we need to have all different kinds of voices. And, you know, I'm just a beginner, a baby, a pokerling, as some people call me, and you are more seasoned and actually have the experience and speaking in front of all of those people and seeing nothing happen. Like I definitely feel that pain and it's like, why even bother at some points? Right. Um, so I just want to say that. And I do want to also say that I do live in a Maryland bubble and it could be attributed to, yes, I'm married to a popular um, player, but like my marital status should not dictate whether somebody respects me or not, just because you respect the man that I'm with. I should be respected just because I'm a woman. And when I went out of my Maryland bubble, like the dealers were part of the problem at the $400, 50K on um, on Sunday that I played in because yeah. there was a guy that said, oh, I'm a squirrel trying to get a nut and he got a fist bump from the dealer. And when me and another woman were in a pot, they were like, oh, cat fight. And I'm like, what if I said dog fight? He's like, whoa, whoa, why do you gotta be mean? Why do you gotta start things? Mm -hmm. And all the table was laughing and all of the sexist remarks and they were harassing the woman. And this is another reason we need women's events because conversations like we're having like right now happen at women's events, but they don't happen anywhere else. 
And when you're at a women's event, it empowers you to speak up when you see things because you see other women like not taking it from a man interrupting them. It's the place that we can go where we don't have to deal with the Daves, even though we did have to deal with the Dave, but usually we don't have to. We get to like really be empowered, just like Ebony Kennedy's embodied confidence is so important. And um, I really think, and it's weird because I have heard feedback that why is it on Caitlin or any of us to grow the game of poker? It shouldn't be. And as you pointed out, Katie, it shouldn't be, but it is. And so we have to take that responsibility. And um, and I encourage everyone to come out as well to the Horseshoe Baltimore Casino for their first ever ladies tournament because I wanted a 10K guarantee. I got to do the entire structure, which is a nice long, like 30 minute levels. We start with like a 20K starting set with a $10 dealer add-on because that's how they do things at Horseshoe that all goes towards the dealers. And um, that means we really get to enjoy the tournament. But because they had missed a 5K guarantee, then we didn't get, I didn't get the 10K guarantee. But if we get 53 or more women, we make our own guarantee. And as you said, like casinos don't care about poker so we need to make them care about poker and we need to make them care about women at poker and so really happy to be part of pocket queens really happy to have been on this podcast and to hear all of everybody speak thank you thanks caitlin uh any closing thoughts ebony and abby i mean i think uh i think scarcity mindset um for well, I do, I do want to say one thing, actually. Uh, for the ladies' event at the Hard Rock, they didn't even cover it, by the way. Their updates, they put on one update, um, and there was a turbo tournament that ended the same time that the ladies' events ended, and they updated that one, but they didn't update that. So it's, it's, it just kind of it kind of shows like no matter what they say about importance or whatever, it does show like speaking to Katie's point about whether the, they care about us. Like the ladies event was one of the events they didn't order a trophy for, but they ordered a trophy for a lot of the other side events, you know, and they didn't cover, they didn't do any coverage during the updates. Um, they didn't post, you know, the, the list, uh, of the, the results of the tournament. And so what Dave won. Okay. But what about the other women that played in cash? You know, it's like, it, it, it does, it is frustrating. And I, I kudos to you, Katie, for continuously <laughs> doing the work in spite of being told no a million times, or even being like gaslit almost where we're like, sure, sure, sure. We're going to take your feedback and then do absolutely nothing with it. And I just think, um, for any industry leaders that are listening or that are, that keep asking in confusion, why more women don't play. It's just like, actually, it's not enough for you to ask the questions, get the feedback. You have to take it and, and, and be ready to incorporate the, the people, the women that are, are literally, we're trying to show you how, you know, we want to hold your hand through it. And we're not doing this because it's easy. We're doing it because we care about this industry and we care about the people that come in and play. And that's the whole point. It's just like, from a human perspective, we want like you can be, you can be competitive and be kind. And that's, I think that is why, you know, Katie and Victoria and then Caitlin, why we all do these things is because we want to create a culture of kindness while still being competitive. And we need leaders to actually step up, even if it's uncomfortable. You know, I, I just want to mention something, Ebony, too. I didn't know about the, the coverage issue. I didn't know that they didn't cover. I didn't know about the trophies and, 
you know, what's just so irritating about this too is, is this is just like, like you mentioned, like it's just one more way that they are displaying that we are not a priority, right? Okay. We don't have the numbers, right? But what you can do is you can manufacture that priority, right? So like something that's so simple that rooms can do during big events or reporting. And and I've suggested this before. And of course, like you said, falls on deaf ears, but it's so easy in the coverage to equalize the coverage, right? So let's say there's, let's say there's 10% of women in the field in, in, in a random Florida event, probably in re- regular Florida events, probably more than 10%, right? The coverage doesn't have to reflect a 90-10 split. The coverage can be 60-40. And yeah, maybe you get, maybe that 40% represents every single woman in the field, but who cares? You know what yeah. I mean? So like what, what happens is what you're doing is you have a blog that is some of the best advertising that you can do for a tournament, right? Because it's giving you updates. It's showing you who's in the tournament. It's telling you how much money's involved, everything like that. When women go, if you get women to go to that blog and they're scrolling and all they're seeing is men, men, men. Oh, here's a random woman. Oh, whatever. Do do you think that that is something that's going to bring, you know, interest women? Probably not. If there's an effort to equalize it a little bit, it's okay to manufacture that. I promise you're not breaking any rules by doing this. Cover representation. Representation is so important. When you think about what's going to inspire people to more women to come out and play, it's representation and and knowing, uh, I mean, one of my best friends, Camille Brown, she was like chip leader of a bracelet event with like 25 left. And she lost a big pot to a guy and like the news reporter came over and asked the guy his name and just said like, Oh, his opponent didn't ask. She was one of two women left in the event. Didn't did the hand history of that she was in and didn't put her name in it. Like, yeah. Women were on the several t- final tables of various events, you know, 10 Ks and, and others. And uh, yeah, to echo that point, uh, the coverage is generally horrendous, but the coverage that are highlighting women's successes, uh, including half open field tournaments, could be so much better and there is so much opportunity. Yeah, uh, and, and it's usually wasted. You know, too, that, that where that comes from, right? So where that attention comes from is not, you know, poker news or whoever's covering the live updates. It, it, it's, it's not just, they're not making it up. Okay. So they're coming, they're getting direction from the host because the host is paying them to be there. Okay. So if the host tells them to do something, they have to do it or they should do it. But if the host is not telling them to, you know, focus on women's coverage during this event, make sure we get coverage for the ladies event, make sure we, you know, cover all of the women in the open events, they're not going to do it because that's not the culture of poker reporting. That's my point is when so much of the effort is on a local level, it's very ineffective. It's not coming down from the top. There's no consistency. There's no organization. This is why nothing changes. Well, not nothing. Thanks to change, Katie. We do. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, listen, I can go you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm counting on all you girls, ladies, women. I'm, listen, you're my hope. 
I'm counting on you guys to do it. Like, you know, I mean, it's, you're, you're the new crop, man. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's never been this, this much energy in women's poker for sure. Ever. Ebony, you can, you can, you, you, we've been in the game the same amount of time, you know? You, yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to perpetuate the very thing I fight against. I mean, I've been very honest about my mistakes in life and in poker and how I was very much a pick me. And I, I was such a hater of ladies events. And I, I was, I mean, I am proof that you can grow and change and get your perspective changed. And just, if you are curious about how to become a better person, how to, you know, show up differently, like it can happen. And that's why I fight so hard because I, I, I was on the other side of this for so long. I, it's, it, and it's, it's just so frustrating. Cause I, I, I know, like, I mean, you and I have been friends for a long time and it's just, yeah, like there has been a lot that has changed and because we've seen so much growth and so much change in this time and to still see how far we still have to go, it just proves like how much work can be done still. Yeah. And so. but the good thing is there's more effort now. There's more organization. hundred percent. It's so beautiful. There's 11 groups, 11 yeah. uh, women's groups. One of the women um, from Embodied Confidence, she actually made yeah. a spreadsheet. I'll see if I can uh, tweet it out, but it's like for every group. Uh, so there's 11 women's groups right now, which, which is, I mean, it's, it's Thanks. such a beautiful That's thing great. to see. Yeah, it's yeah. Really, for sure. And, you know, poker kind of saw a little bit of a mainstream push, you know, with, with COVID and, and there was a you little know bit. What would be cool? You know, what would be cool. One of the things to kind of show the energy in numbers, I think numbers are powerful and there is not a kind of a body that would issue statistics that actually shows what's happening. But maybe one of the easiest things to do is just start counting the total winnings of women. Just take hand on mob year over year or months over months or whatever it is and actually start kind of a publishing statistics. Now, I haven't done it. I haven't seen it. But I'm willing to bet we're going to see an, an, an upward stick. And as time goes by, more and more women will actually be winning more and more stuff as we do. Um, and this is the kinds of, you know, small things that can be done to highlight, you know, what kind of momentum is building. Because I think momentum is palatable, but we can feel it and others don't. People very much look in the rearview mirror instead of in front of them. Um, you know, I'm much more interested in how to accelerate the momentum then look back as to why we haven't grown, you know, faster. Uh, but there's a lot that we could do to actually showcase what the momentum is and list more help and grow faster. So one of the things I'll say to that is my biggest gripe with Hendon Mob is that it only counts live poker. Okay. Yeah. Let's hold on. Let's think about it. Let's think about how many people are playing live poker. How many women are playing live poker? Now, if you go to a Hendon Mob, if you manually link your online results, you can see it, right? But it doesn't take in your online results into calculation for like rankings. My point is, is that if it did, you would find a heck of a lot of a new, a lot of new women's names who never like, knew existed if they were all combined. And how cool would that be? They all combined. I mean, that would be great. Yeah, so there's think, all just work to be done. What's the big deal? Yeah. 
And I think that like we do have to look at like why we failed in the past to learn from those mistakes and know how we can do better or not even learn from the mistakes, but just be able to look at the past and and then we also need to look at the future. Like we have to do both at the same time. I also want to appeal to casinos. Chris McCall, in association with Plon, started a monthly women's event at um, Maryland Lab. They've been doing this now for, at least as I can tell, sometime last year, maybe before that. Then at their recent series, not this one, but there was a woman at every single table during their regular main event. Like every single table had a woman. It was so beautiful to see. And I'm seeing more and more women players play and if you hold these events yeah maybe the event might only get 15 people but what you're doing is opening the door and after they come to so many of those events they're gonna start playing in the other events and so um that that's my appeal to casinos that like look at what chris mccall is doing at maryland live i might be at maryland live next month oh we, we told them <laughs> we <up> then. <laughs> When I'm not traveling to go see my daughter, yeah. <laughs> I will I will say, um, so I've been hosting this uh, Bar Poker Open since 2013 um, or 2014. I forgot when the first year it was. Um, been been hosting this for a long time. And they are, um, it's a it's bar leaks that holds, they're having their guarantee this year, I think is uh, 200 or 300 kick guarantee. It's a free roll. Um but the field for these events is like 45 to 50% women. It is unbelievable. And the, it, the culture they've created just really good inclusive culture. And it's because of it's, it's the teams, it's the camaraderie. It's the yes, poker is a solo game, but it really is, you know, they create these little leagues that come and they compete in Vegas. And so when I think about, you know, the, these, the, the women's groups that are creating, I was like, this is how we grow. This is how we grow the game. You get more support from each other, period. That, um, that environment was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. Uh, that so, Ebby and I commentated the final table of the bar poker open. I don't know, maybe five years ago or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it was it's it was like a family almost, right? Like it, it's literally like a party atmosphere. And the one thing that just you know I noticed was there was there was so much less. Ju- you know, or ego, I guess, you know, because there were so many women. So it kind of naturally diffused, I don't know, the male ego or whatever, but there was just not as much, you know, like everybody was just accepted, you know, and it was just like the women were there, the guys were there and everybody was playing together and everybody was getting along. And it just, it was just a very different culture and it was really nice and it was fun. And I'm yeah. like, wow, this was cool. Yeah. So I say, I say that as like proof that it can be done, that there can be spaces, co-ed spaces, um, for like inclusive spaces that where everyone can have fun. And it, it does, it is a trickle down effect. It's the culture. It really, it, it really does start with, um, the operators. Um, and obviously now we have to kind of fight from the bottom up, uh, which we've all proven that we're willing to do, but, if anything, I hope that this will inspire some people who are in positions of power to, you know, take some initiative 
and put some standards and guidelines in place that will create a better culture. <laughs> yeah, I, I think um, I think this is a good place to end. It it just makes a lot of sense to me that uh, finding solutions that are actionable is for sure the fastest way to ensure that uh, we see some level of growth. And I think that that's really the biggest hurdle right now. Um, so much of what we discussed today, I believe, uh, is being implemented at some degree, and there's a lot of momentum behind it. Uh, the challenge being that there's also a lot of roadblocks in the way because uh, right now it's all at a very small scale. As we try to grow that and reach a critical mass, uh, a lot of these natural roadblocks that we're not really addressing yet at the uh, operator level are going to come back and bite us. Um, I think the WSOP ladies event is probably the greatest example of what this can look like at scale. Now it's just a matter of figuring out how can we take that singular event that happens annually and turn it into something that's a little bit more consistent uh, and a little bit more regular. And even that doesn't go off without a hitch every year. Every year there's some little grumbling of of somebody trying to game the system of the cashier being in charge of you know turning someone away or or not uh i know that there was an issue earlier this year at a circuit stop where their policy was your driver's license gender was what dictated whether or not you could play the event for 10k or 1k um so we still have a lot of work to do culturally uh and and at the operator level um, but I just want to say thank you to everybody who uh, joined us today. Ebony, Abby, Caitlin, Victoria, Katie, and Lindsay. Uh, really appreciate you guys, you girls, uh, coming here, having an open discussion um, and, and kind of drilling down on these things. And, uh, you know, I, I hope it's obvious at this point that a lot of the community supports all of this and would like to see growth happen at a large scale ourselves. Uh, that's going to... For, for hosting this and giving us the platform and uh, continue to champion the, the good causes. Yeah, happy yep. to. Yeah, uh, that's, it's, it's, thank you. Good. I think it should be like a recurring thing, by the way. I think it should just be like a monthly women's check-in or something All like right. that. Well, you, <laughs> you, you organize it and uh, I'll, I'll set up the cameras and, and the, the changer and then let you guys go to town. <laughs> okay, deal. Perfect. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, I'm off to play airball. What? <laughs> no. We're, we're for team Matt. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, we don't play till tomorrow, but I got a busy weekend ahead of me. So uh, we'll be back on Monday with updates from the challenge. Uh, we should be through about 65 hours or so by the end of this weekend. So hopefully we're a lot closer to that million by then. We'll be back noon on Monday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Appreciate everybody who joined us and the panel for being on the discussion. We'll see you guys then. Peace.